we've learned that Whitehaven are buying Blackwater and Dornier. This would have to be the mining sale process with the most articles I have ever seen. It was getting absurd to say the least. And that activism really culminated this London hedge fund called Bell Rock Capital, which emerged relatively vocally against doing a deal to acquire these assets. Matt, I don't think Mike has quite got the memo yet. If he wants to do proper activism in the mining space, he should have just come on the potty. And uh, Lithium Power International being taken over by Codelco. Codelco, yeah, the uh, the copper major taking over a small lithium player. Super interesting. G'day, money miners. I, I gave it a big booming voice, mate. I thought Maddie's not going to be happy if he's away and he, and he hears an intro that he's just subpar. So I've given it my best shot. The money miners will notice things right, look a little bit miners. different. <laughs> We've got um, your your placed out in um in Melbourne at the moment. Maddie finds himself in the in the luxurious down south. I want to say it's Bustleton. He's down there for a conference. I previously called it South by Southwest. It's not that. It's Southwest Connect. Um, and you're of course in Melbourne. So we're doing this remote for the first time. How does it feel? Mate, we have got some cracking news to, to talk about on our first fully remote chat. We're going to get into Whitehaven, the long-awaited deal. We've been hinting at this for a while, talking about it, rumours every other week since the beginning of the year, I think. So going to get into the deal. We're also going to chat about the uh, the upcoming AGM. So there's a, there's a few bones to pick from a few different shareholders, a few interesting resolutions up at stake. And then we're also going to talk about Lithium Power International, so they have sold themselves essentially to Codelco and that deal has been valued at $385 million. It's been also rumoured for a little while. The share price has rocketed up in the last couple of months. And then lastly, we're going to close out on some a bit more unfortunate news actually on Glencore's decision to close the Mount Isa copper mine. So it's, it's not all being shut down. They're keeping zinc ops going as well as the smelter and refinery but we'll touch on that at the end of the show mate mate to top it all off we've got a wicked sponsor to to thank for their um for for, for bringing you the show and that's anytime expiration i don't know what more you can possibly say about anytime expiration that hasn't already been said they, you know last plug i feel like that would you know just um <laughs> any job any it's just uh things are getting absurd so <laughs> what is what does Seamus actually if do? you need anything <laughs> he's he's a jack of all trades mate even even the likes of lion town mate they need a job done Seamus Murphy is the one to call he can tackle any job you know Maddie's fleshed out that he's uh he's well equipped to deal at any elevation any part of the world you need anything done in the uh, the world of exploration services, get in touch with Seamus Murphy at any time. Exploration services, our inaugural sponsor, mate. Beautiful. I am thankful to Seamus. All right, mate, let's get into it. The first deal to talk about, mate, oh, Whitehaven Coal. We oh, gotta, we've, we've learned that Whitehaven are buying Blackwater and Dornier. So these are the assets being divested by BHP and... Um, and it's an interesting one to talk about. They went into trading halt this morning and we had bloody prepared a whole piece to talk about this just as if they were in trading halt pending some sort of announcement but confirmed to be um, the, the buyer. And bloody, mate. Mate, look, I'm spewing. Oh, it's, we, we did all this work and, and then, they, then they come out with the terms and so we've got to redo all our bloody work. And uh, Anyway, we'll talk about what really matters, which is the deal. <laughs> and uh, That's it. 
Uh, so, so Whitehaven, they've agreed to buy the two mines, the coal mines up in Queensland for BHP. And and um, this would have to be the mining sale process with the most articles I have ever seen. There's, you know, every other week you'd seen a leak or an update or a valuation drop put out there in data room or street talk. Um, it was getting absurd to say the least. But the world's most uh, interesting sale process, according to our um, incumbent media organisations, has finally, um, they're not going to know what to report about anymore because the, the deal's out and uh, we've got numbers to talk about. Notably, and this is the, the, the most important thing, I think, is um, Whitehaven stock is up 16% since the announcement. Well, it was hovering about 16%. Um, it might have come off a little bit from there, but it's a massive, massive intraday move for a $6 billion company. Matt, it's huge. It's I think they closed up about... 12%. So like you said, a massive move for a company of that scale. And I mean, it's fascinating that that is the direction it's moved in. There was a lot of, you know, loud shareholder discontent, but I'm stoked that we finally got some numbers to put to it. So when we did the big deep dive about a month ago, we were sort of speculating in that sort of US three to $3.5 billion for both of the asset assets, Dornia and Blackwater. Now the number that's come out ultimately is four point one billion, and well, that's that's the headline really number that, also, that I give to it. But Whitehaven tries to spin it as um, US three point two because they don't they don't have the last little <laughs> bit to it. <laughs> but naturally, I, they would, mate. Yeah, exactly. If you're selling the assets, you call it four point one. If you if you're buying them, you try and you know <laughs> you call it three point two. But it's it's pretty important that not just that head number is recognised, but how the payments uh, are made, mm. given the sort of nature of being a coal asset, how they sort of get financing, the terms are super, super important. So $2.1 billion up front, and then you got $1.1 billion in deferred. That was a sort of 500 plus 500 plus $100 million on the first three anniversaries from completion. And then it sort of rounds out with a a figure that's capped at US $900 million, and that's contingent on certain prices being realised. And it's important also to note that those prices are being realised on what's produced at the assets, not necessarily a benchmark, given there can be a bit of divergence. So capped at US $350 million in, th in three individual years, being financial year 25, 26 and 27, at a total of US $900 million. What do, you, what do you think when you first first sort of saw the headline numbers there, there JD? Mate, to, to what you said earlier, they sort of stumped you at first. You know, you read 3.2, you're like, oh, that's that's actually pretty good, mate. But then, you know, you you add up the sort of contingencies to 4.1. But then, like we said, the, the structure of it is super, super important. It was always going to be about the structure in this one. It was... Um, yeah, the the value and the structure were sort of both really really important because there's one it's one thing how much do you pay and then the second thing is what do you what do you what, you know what what are you actually kind of you know how are you going to finance it and what are the terms of, of that financing that matters a lot in the context of um, a coal company where they they have a high cost of capital so you want to make sure the way you finance it is on as um, beneficial terms as possible. They've had a, a high cost of capital a few years ago, and that's only gone up as interest rates have gone up as well. And then yeah, I mean getting into the the terms of how the fundings come together, they're highlighting that it's going to be paid for by existing cash and then the US $900 million bridge facility. So that facility, that that restricts dividends and distributions, as, as we both heard, mate, listening in on the call. But it's, it's you know, quite particular. It expires on June 30, 2024. So 
in eight or so months. And then they'll have to replace this with some sort of debt financing. It sort of remains to be seen. They're going to have to work on how that all comes together. But, you know, ultimately not that bad, you know. The the shareholders that we'd sort of spoken around in the past, Bell Rock, they're going to be upset in terms of the dividends and the distributions being put on hold. But ultimately, are they going to be that upset with a, a stock price that's ticked up 15-odd percent? What do you reckon, mate? I, I think before we go into what we think of the deal itself, and just to, to clarify that funding, right, that, that's the funding for how to fund the upfront portion of the consideration. Of course, the, the other parts of the consideration are, are, are because it's, you know, it's being paid. Um, in some ways, it's deferred consideration. That's ultimately, you know, you can think of the financing there being on, on BHP's balance sheet. So just a bit, I think let's just recap where, where we're at and where we got to and why there was so much uh, excitement about this deal from um, a media reporting perspective, shareholder activism perspective and, and, and all the rest. So Whitehaven, they, 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 pre this deal, their portfolio was thermal coal, right? And, um, uh, and thermal, if you just have thermal coal, there's a dominant view out there that, um, that you're gonna trade at a discount discounted multiples, there's like less investors that are interested in you. So the strategy of Whitehaven was to get met in the mix. You can make of that strategy what you will as a shareholder, but that was the one that uh, management had publicly been going after for quite some time. And there's not too many like producing met call assets in, um, you know, Western jurisdictions that pop up for sale. BHP had been, you know, publicly selling uh, these two assets for quite some time now. And, um, and, you know, Whitehaven Coal, they, they were kind of, they were always, you know, believed to be in the, in the mix, but, but there was definitely um, a fair degree of interest peaked when they paused their buyback. The moment they paused their buyback, it really signaled to the market that they're having a, you know, really big crack. And then a lot of um, activism kind of was launched off the back of that one. And that activism really culminated in um, this London hedge fund called Bell Rock Capital, which you know emerged relatively vocally um, in critique against doing a deal to acquire these assets. The chief investment officer there, um, Mike O'Mara, was you know often uh, often attributed to some quotes that appeared in, in media, being in, um, in in vehement opposition to both the deal initially, um, particularly to any dilution that might result of the deal, and um, in, in recent history in opposition to the remuneration. Um, resolutions at the upcoming AGM. Matt, I don't think Mike has quite got the memo yet. If he wants to do proper activism in the mining space, he should have just come on the potty. What do you reckon? I I insist, I, 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 buddy, mate, I tried everything. To, I, or I sent him like two, three <laughs> emails. I tweeted about being in London. Can someone hook me up with Mike O'Mara? I called him out on the potty. I messaged people that I knew knew him and mate, just I got nothing nothing in return. But and I, I think the London hedge fund world is particularly um, particularly quiet. They keep a very secretive uh, aura to them. These London hedge funds, like some of them, literally have like a one page website. You can't find anything about the hedge fund. The people barely have LinkedIn's. Mate, I can't even find a picture of Mike O'Mara on the internet. Um, so like, so I, I don't yet know if he exists. But I'd love to see the people who, um, you know, embark on these activist campaigns. I think in 2023, an activist campaign, like for it to really kind of be punchy, it needs a face. Like think of how we consume our media these days. You've got to have a minimum of voice um, 
and it's like got to be your voice. It can't just be like text on a page. That's not how we consume our media these days. That's why we've got a podcast. <laughs> um, and so, Mike, agreed, mate. Get with the memo, mate. <laughs> Come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a lot of respect for that that sort of secrecy. And I mean, given that they were sort of dominantly invested here prior to the transaction in a thermal coal business, you know, big London hedge fund. It is not entirely surprising how uh, private he is, but nevertheless, he should do the right thing next time and come on if he wants to get anywhere with his activist campaign, mate. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's, uh, let's talk about what the money miners care about, which is not our attempt to get in contact with Mike O'Mara, but more, more what we think of the deal itself. So let's look at the deal. The positives I'm keen to talk about Firstly, the market likes it, and that's the that's the most important thing. So the, the price paid and the funding structure, as mentioned, is like that's that's what we've got to sort of hone in on in our um, in our commentary here. So like the great thing I think is that they're using BHP's balance sheet for a good portion of it. It's it's obviously there's the 1.1 billion in deferred consideration, but if you you kind of also think about the the contingent consideration that's also being paid on a deferred basis. So um, you know that obligation for all intents and purposes, is is not something that is um, uh, like a, 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 a debt instrument that Whitehaven have to wear accruing interest um, at some exorbitant rate purely because they're a coal company and the cost of capital is absurdly high. So it's a good outcome that there's a, a, a huge amount, a huge degree of kind of you know, reliance on BHP's balance sheet for a substantial part of it. Another positive, no, no equity. I think the, the market sort of called on the prospect of equity being part of this deal um, a few weeks ago and, you know, positive to see that sort of follow through on the permutations of the deal. I do wonder if absent the activism, like, would we have seen a different outcome there? Because, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the answer is to that one. I wasn't inside the doors of the deal, but I but I am curious the impact that sort of activism actually has on the way that the final deal we see put to market kind of emerges. Then we, we're going to um, look at the valuation, so price paid, I'm going to leverage the analysis put out there by Re Speculator. Um, he's written an article about this, um, and what he does is, I think it's a fair way to look at it. He assumes all of that contingent and deferred consideration is paid. So the stuff that's linked to price, you know, his perspective is it's quite a low price hurdle. So just assume that that does get paid, and then he discounts it on the you know first, second, third anniversary accordingly at a 20% whack, which seems reasonable for a coal miner. Um, and then in present value terms, what's the price paid? US $3.57 billion. So on his numbers, Whitehaven Coal, um, so the company pre-deal was trading at about three and a half times EBITDA. That's on that's on his numbers, um, which, are, which are basically using a, a long-term US $140 long-term price for thermal. And then he also on his numbers, he's saying, look, that this acquisition on, on um, Blackwater and Dornia is, is actually priced similarly, and he's using US 200 per tonne for long-term met coal there. Um, so three and a half times EBITDA, both what, what Whitehaven was trading at and, and this acquisition's priced at. When you factor in the fact that they're picking up met coal assets, if you subscribe to the um, the value premium um, that should be attributed to met coal, then, you know, he sees it as an attractive price paid. The negatives, of course, like... Because you have to finance this and your cash flow in the interim while you're, you know, servicing the the, the debt and also the um, the deferred consideration pieces. It hits your capital allocation, so buybacks are, are paused um, temporarily. The well, buybacks paused, dividends are paused while the bridge loan is in place. But 
there are, there is some guidance around what capital returns will look like and some signalling that um, the, the capital distributions can come back in some permutation and um, some parameters around that, which is, which is a positive. Yeah, and there's a few other things to <clears throat> sort of mention on the deal, mate. They're, they've moved heavily away from being a, a thermal coal producer to a met coal producer now, and there, there's a strong likelihood that that means, you know, a few more funds can buy in. Perhaps that's what we were seeing today, given that over well over 50% now of the production in the, you know, going forward is going to be for a met coal product. Maybe that opens them up to a broader investment community, and maybe that allows them to be sort of marked up on a on a higher multiple. Yeah, looking at the trading activity today, I was thinking a little bit about this one, JD. It's like you see a lot of volume done today. Price jumps up immediately um, on announcement. It, I, you know, I got the impression that there are there were a lot of investors on the sidelines um, waiting to enter Whitehaven, but being a little bit concerned about the M and A overhang. And then at least we've got the information now. Um, you know, investors can make that decision whether the the terms are um, you know, attractive or, or not. A lot of investors make the decision that it was attractive, they enter the stock. And then there's also the the potential that some of the investors on the sidelines, um, you know, if they were institutional funds that had some restrictions around um, entering purely thermal coal producers, then Whitehaven, um, given it the, the diversity of its portfolio to, to have met in there now, um, warrants those flows to enter and maybe some of that played out today. Yeah, exactly, mate. And then and then on the sort of synergies, they're worth touching on as well. So you've got Winchester South, maybe they can get that one going. There's going to be synergies with um, the, the assets in Queensland. It probably puts Vickery, another one of the sort of development projects that Whitehaven have on the, on the back burner. They might not need to sort of go forward with that one. And yeah, um, there was one other sort of pointed question on synergies that got put forward during the Q&A today, and that was regarding, you know, potential dealings with Stanmore, given the proximity to Stanmore's assets and and between Dornier and Stanmore. So, I mean, the, the straight up answer from management today was that that's, you know, they need to bed down this deal. They've got, you know, financing like we've touched on to sort out and everything. But they, they really didn't do a good job denying it all. They did acknowledge that it does make a lot of sense. So I'd sort of pay a bit of attention to that. And maybe in the future, given the synergies with Stanmore there, they could get something going to, uh, you know, extract more value for, for each shareholder base there. And then, like, let's touch on the the shareholder activism we've seen in the lead up because everyone knows that I love shareholder activism, when it's when it's grounded in, in merit, there's some shareholder activism you look at and you think, okay, but but this was a really interesting <laughs> one, right? I mean, um, especially in like recent days, like the last week or so, I think we've seen what looked to be a very kind of coordinated campaign focused on Whitehaven's upcoming AGM. Now that's scheduled for the 26th of October, so a couple of short weeks away. They'd, there'd been this website that um, had been created. Uh, I think it was like Fair Shareholder Returns. Um, there have been these ads on LinkedIn we've been noticing. JD, we'll flash, flash them up on screen at the moment. There's been ads on the Letter of Intent uh, M&A newsletter. Like the, there's basically been a bit of a coordinated um, attempt to encourage shareholders of Whitehaven to vote against um, 
some resolutions at the AGM in relation to remuneration. First was the against the remuneration report itself and the second was against the grant of a single incentive plan awards to MD Paul Flynn. I think the the reason we're talking about some AGM activism at the same time as an M&A transaction is because the two are related and the link is something um, worth digging into. Agreed, mate. So I think Mike O'Mara at Bell Rock, who we touched on before, I think he summed up the link best between the, the REM report and the mines acquisition. And I'm going to quote him here. He said, under Whitehaven's current plan, the company could destroy the share price, cancel or reduce dividends, stop the share buyback, and still pay healthy bonuses to management. So that really encapsulate their feelings about these new packages. And we touched on this whenever we spoke about Whitehaven three or four weeks ago, mate. We, we when did, we yeah. tried to, I mean, it, oh, it was interesting, that, right? Because I think it was when, a nightmare. Well, yeah, it was. It, I mean, the the info that rolled out. I did a bit of a tweet thread on it at the moment. I saw the notice of meeting go up, and you looked at the way that um that that incentives were being tied to metrics like EBITDA, not on a not on a, <laughs> no, just EBITDA in general um, and, and, and metrics like that, ROM production in general, as opposed to, as opposed to sort of shareholder return metrics. Um, and, and I think like s- s- metrics like that, you obviously can, can achieve, um, you can in- achieve your incentives by doing, you know, M&A at, at any price. And I think that's something that you have to discourage, like, like notwithstanding the deal and market reaction of this um, transaction today, the, like we, the money and mind team, stand for maximal alignment between shareholders and management. And in my mind, that looks like management owning plenty of stock themselves and incentives tied to total shareholder return. Interestingly, in the activism that we've seen pop up, um, you know, presumably spearheaded by Balrock themselves, uh, we saw the major proxy advisors, ISS and Glass-Lewis, actually divided in their recommendations um, you know about about these resolutions, and as an observer to the activism, I think you know the fight against the remuneration resolutions at the AGM was probably probably an attempt by the activist shareholder or shareholders to influence the M and A deal. Mate, there's one more thing worth touching on on the deal itself. So, you know, once Whitehaven was in, in Holt this morning, there was a statement that came out of Bell Rock and they, they were talking about a shareholder vote on the deal. Now, we've seen this we've seen this in the past, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were all in a bit a bit in limbo when um Whitehaven were in trading Holt, BHP are referring to them as the preferred bidder. So you don't know how how um I guess how advanced things were at that stage, how like was financing locked in at that stage. Like so there's a bit of speculation. Bell Rock um, are quoted in the AFR in an article and they're, they're uh, yeah, quoted sort of advocating for whatever deal is is released, um, that there's a shareholder vote in relation to the deal. The way this works is um, if if there's the scale and nature of your business changes by virtue of an acquisition or disposal, then um, you're required to A, notify ASX and then ASX will let you know if you need to include a shareholder vote or not. So in this case, you can assume that um, that Whitehaven you know, sought advice from ASX given the scale of their business did, did meaningfully change. But the, the conditions of the deal and everything that's rolled out, there's no shareholder vote actually tied to it. But 
But you're right, there is precedent, mate, for including a shareholder vote, even if ASX doesn't require you to include it. Um, even in the midst of some shareholder activism, remember the battle for Leonora, JD, when Genesis was bidding for St. Barbara's Leonora assets and Silver Lake lobbed a bid over the top? St. Barbara shareholders were... Mate, how could I ever forget? <laughs> exactly. And Barb's shareholders were publicly not happy that uh, St. Barbara were refusing to let Silver Lake do DD. So we had, um, we had the shareholder activism there check, and in St. Barbara's case a disposal of assets instead of an acquisition. Um, but I remember reading this quote from one of the announcements from St. Barbara at the time. It said, uh, St. Barbara shareholder vote on Leonora asset sale. In April 23, Barb's received confirmation from the ASX that Barb's shareholder approval for Leonora asset sale under ASX listing rules would not be required. Nevertheless, the board of St. Barbara has voluntarily provided its shareholders with the opportunity to vote on the transaction at the St. Barbara EGM as a matter of good corporate Governance. So maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Whitehaven could take a, a leaf out of the exemplary corporate governance that we um, see from see from St. Barbara. <laughs> exemplary, mate. So why don't we why don't we just you know share a couple takeaways or what you sort of think all up, given that we're sort of at the end of this deal, this sort of long in the making deal. I, all right. So first one, I'm stoked that Whitehaven shareholders are getting a deal on terms that are clearly being rewarded by the market. Um, you know, those that, that had concerns about the deal, they appear to be, you know, relatively alleviated by the intraday performance of the share. So, like, that's great. Um, second takeaway, I do hope shareholders still advocate for remuneration to be maximally aligned to their own interests. And uh, my third one, mate, I'm disappointed the deal looks to be over without us getting an activist shareholder on the podcast. One of these days, JD, they'll come on. <laughs> I'd echo all of them, mate. Like, like we sort of said at the top of the show, the uh, the price and the structure of this one were, were super key and, you know, shareholders look to be happy with it. And, you know, that sort of said, I'm keen to see how this vote goes next week. The other deal, the other deal that popped up, this is not coal. I mean, this is a much, 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 uh, much different type of, uh, type of metal out there. This is lithium and uh, Lithium Power International being taken over by Codelco. Codelco, yeah. The... Uh, the copper major taking over a small lithium player. Super interesting. So it's a cash takeover priced at 57 cents per share. So it's a, it's a binding scheme. You know, the, the fully diluted equity value of LPI is Aussie $385 million. So not a bad little number. And, you know, the money miners might remember LPI. We spoke about them a couple of times. There'd been rumors of this deal not too long ago. And then we'd spoken about them a few months back when they'd sold for 30 million bucks tenements in and around green bushes. So they've made a bit of news and now they have sold themselves. They uh, they quote the deal at being at a 119% premium to the undisturbed closing price, which was 26 cents. You normally you normally see a premium like that and you think, well, geez, everyone must be happy. That's a big bloody premium. <laughs> but I think, I think there's more to this one, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. At first glance, you'd think, wow, that is a ripper premium. So 136% premium to the undisturbed 30-day VWAP up until that undisturbed day. So the deal has board approval. Now, in, in that board, you've got this guy, Martin Border. He's a Chilean billionaire. He controls this group called Minera Salablanco, and they are 28%, 28.25% shareholders. So like I said, he, he's on the board, he's a director, and the board, with him included, owns 32.5% of the company. So, I mean, 
the first lithium deal for Cadelco, it's, it's sort of super interesting to see them make these moves, how they're going to sort of go about it. We saw the uh, all the talk about the Chilean lithium policy about half a year ago now. Mm. And given that Cadelco is a, a state-owned entity, it's interesting that, you know, Lithium Power International is is the first move that they make. It's really really interesting, and they're an absolute like massive massive player in the in the copper. Um, but whenever you see a um, like a, a state owned entity like Kidalco uh, sort of com- competing, you sort of you do think of them as impossible to compete against for, for anyone else. And I, I think um, the first thing I want to ask you though, JD, is like, what do you make of the the price that LPI is transacting out here? I mean. To, to look at the price, we, we should run through the updated DFS. So this came out in the first quarter of 2022, mate. So the CapEx was US $626 million for an MPV of US $1.4 billion. And they were going to be producing 15.2% of 15.2 rather thousand tons of lithium carbonate equivalent for a 20-year life. And, you know, on, on the sort of valuation, we'll flash up this chart from Hoops, who we quoted not too long ago, he sort of put together a bubble chart on lithium M&A prices. And, you know, on, on the metrics that he shows, he's got on the uh, on the y-axis the, the grade. So on the left-hand side, you can see the hard rock grade. On the right-hand side, the, the equivalent sort of grade for a brine project. And it sort of values this deal pretty middle of the park, you know, like $190 per tonne lithium carbonate equivalent. I'll sort of pull up a couple similar type of deals. You got the Zijin deal with Neo, and you know it's similar in terms of being a brine asset. South America, they're at the same stage, that sort of DFS or you know bankable feasibility study stage, and that was on $135 per ton, so a bit cheaper. The Rio deal with Rincon, which was done uh, a bit over a year ago now, similar again in in the nature of the deal at $105 per ton, and then. Another one is Gangfang's deal with Lithia, so also in Argentina, this one, in that sort of lithium triangle. And that was at $404 per tonne. So, you know, the, the comps aren't perfect. They're at various stages. The lithium market has been, you know, quite up and down over the past two years or so, but it just gives you a sort of rough idea of how things have been priced at, at the sort of takeover stage out there. And I mean, it's interesting, right? I'm sure. I'm sure LPI had advisors appointed who were trying to, you know, seek to maximise value and um, ruffle up some interest from alternative plays. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that other people, you know, were, were interested. But, but um, because it's Kidalco, like, <laughs> do you think anyone's actually going to bid up the price here, JD? Yeah, I mean, it, it lays them in a hard spot. Like we, we talked about that premium, that jump up. But for for longer term shareholders, you know, the last placement they did was at 60 cents. So that was 25 million bucks a bit over a year ago. And, you know, getting to where we are now today, like you said, what's the competition? Cadelco, you know, they got land in and around the asset. Who's going to want to rile up Cadelco? That as a strategic move, if you're going to want to be a producer of lithium in Chile, then you know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of an entity like them. Maybe you do want to partner with them down the track. You know, maybe the likes of an SQM or an Albemarle are thinking those sorts of things. Maybe they could sort of lend their expertise in the lithium market. But is now the stage that they do it and come in with a bid over the top? 
I mean, it, it seems pretty unlikely to me, mate. And on the call earlier today, the uh, the management team, they sort of said in speaking for about 70% of the register, those that 70% was happy with the deal. So, I mean, maybe we see some some hedgies from, from across the world come in, hold on for a little bit, but people that are actually going to come in and hold up the deal, that, that seems pretty unlikely to me. Yeah, and I mean, when you've got a binding scheme, you've got like, yeah, very, um, like super high degree of certainty. It's, you know, I mean, there's really, it's really tricky to get out of a scheme. Um, and so if it was a takeover offer, it's a different story. But um, yeah, a scheme's pretty, a pretty tricky one. There's better, much better deal, deal certainty. But but in ter- on your point on hedges kind of coming in, I always look at, um, look at these deals now when they're announced and, and think of that, uh, that M&A arbitrager and what are they, what are they going to get up to? Um, are they going to see a return? What do you think on that front? Mate, I mean, it, it, first thoughts are the exact same. You know, the, tro- the stock was trading 53, 54 cents and it was a cash bid at 57 cents. And it really goes to what you said before, mate, about the deal being pretty tight, you know, a binding scheme. And you can look through the terms, you know, as a hundred odd page announcement and there's not really much that's going to let Cadelco get off the hook if for whatever reason they, they have a change of heart. So like you said, you know, we've now seen behind the curtain on how it all works, the, the risk arb or the event-driven funds, a couple of different strategies that might get involved. So, I mean, just back of the envelope sort of math, if you're looking between 54 and 57 cents, that's a, a 5.5% return. The implementation date is the 8th of February. So what's that, th- three or four months? If you annualize that, you're talking about 18%. I think they closed the day at 53 cents. So that 18% is a touch higher. On those sorts of you know numbers, the uh, the risk reward trade-off here, it, it looks quite compelling. And I'm sure in that in that large amount of volume that we saw today, you'd see a lot of those sorts of groups coming in. And I mean, there would have been on the flip side of that, people that were buying into the rumor a month ago when it was first sort of announced and thinking, hey, you know, this is going to become something good. Cadelco are going to come in and buy them out. And they would have jumped in at whatever they were trading, 30 cents, 35 cents. And for a, a month or so's work, they'd be pretty happy to cash out here and let these other sort of shareholders take it through to completion. Couple couple more things to, to chat about, mate. One is, one is Glencore. Like, what are they doing at Mount Eliza? Yeah, it's, it's not great news for the, for the community there at all, is it, mate? It's a 1,200... Jobs are, I mean, that, that is the number that they've sort of said will be let go. On on the positive side of that, it's in the second half of 2025 that we're going to see the Mount Isa copper mines shut. So a couple years advance, which is which is good of Glencore to do. They have said that the uh, refinery, which is in Townsville, as well as the smelter in Mount Isa, will continue to operate. So they're getting enough uh, you know, commodity from third parties to keep that running, and I'm sure the the margins on that are incentivizing them to keep things going there. So, in all likelihood, it's a it's a combination of the grade winding down. You know, it's been going for sixty odd years. It's getting to a natural type of end. Costs have been moving higher, so the operation is just not that profitable anymore. They did say that um, the zinc part, so Glencore zinc, is not going to be effective. So. You know, all up, they said they employ roughly three and a half thousand people across the region, and like I sort of said, twelve hundred of those jobs will be will be going out in late twenty twenty five. So 
I mean, here's hoping that there's opportunities around. We've spoken about a tight labor market quite a bit. So hopefully the the people let go and in the sort of intervening two-year period, they can pick up jobs at various other operations and it not be too too much of a disturbance. Yeah, it's, it's always horrible to hear when, when a lot of people lose their jobs and the ramifications that has on, um, you know, mining towns is substantial as sometimes these sort of towns get, you know, really feel the um, the after effects of it. But, yeah, it's an un- unfortunate kind of part of our industry. Um, there's one, yeah, one very more. very much so, mate. Mount Isa is a mining town. Yeah. One more one more uh, thing I want to mention. I noticed Lion Town, they're in suspension today. We obviously talked quite a bit about them yesterday. The suspension today is just what happens when you've been in trading halt for more than two days. But um, but in relation to our coverage yesterday, I've been told by someone I trust, you know who you are. Uh, you better not be leading me astray, but I've been told that the equity raising headlines we've seen out to date from AFR and um, Data Room are BS. <laughs> so make that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold him to account. <laughs> Uh, awesome, mate. Great to great to chat as always, JD. I'm pumped. Pumped, pumped to release release part two of Rusty tomorrow, mate. A couple a couple great interviews to share Thursday, Friday, with the money miners, and I'm also keen to get a bit of feedback on the on the bit of analysis we did today. And yeah, interested to see how the market sort of rates Whitehaven going forward. A few things to look out for. Beautiful, mate. Um, all right. Well, thank our sponsors, Terra Capital, Anytime Exploration. JP Search, K Drill, and Smack. And Smack. So, thank you very much, Thanks guys. Thanks a bunch, guys. Hooteroo. Hooteroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation, and needs.